Hey everybody, this is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Once again this weekend, we are meeting outside uh, for our Sunday morning service. For just, so just for the sake of clarity and uh, quality in our recording, I've come into the sanctuary and am recording the sermon in here. So you're listening to the same teaching that happened um, in our live gathering on Sunday morning. Today's text, as we continue to walk through our series in 1 John, in our series titled Love Above All, today's text uh, comes from the end of chapter 2 into the first 10 verses of chapter 10. So we'll be picking up in verse 28 of uh, 1 John chapter 2 and reading through verse 10 of chapter 3. And today's sermon title is Practice Righteousness, and you'll soon see why. So this is the text, um, starting in verse 28 of chapter 2. It says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has, seen, he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at these verses today, as we listen to them, God, we would just invite you to make us more like you. We're going to look at four different ways in these short verses that John says we are conformed into your image, that we become more like you. He lists four different ways that we become like you. And so we pray as we uh, consume this, as we listen to it, that you indeed would make us like you. And we believe that you can do it because of your spirit and the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, if you've been at Parker Ford Church, you've seen my, my little guy, Asher, my youngest son, running around with a full arm cast from the tip of his uh, fingers all the way up to his shoulder with just his little thumb sticking out. Many people have asked me, oh, how did he break his arm? What happened to his arm? Well, he didn't break his arm. It's actually just his pinky. He broke the knuckle between, or he broke the, the bone between the two knuckles of his right pinky finger. His, his hand got slammed in the door by his uh, four-year-old brother, older brother, Zach. And it broke that bone between the two knuckles. And he had to do surgery 
they, ha- they had to do surgery on it to pin it because they couldn't put it back in place and they had to cast it all the way up to his shoulder because two-year-olds, they said, will take off their cast if it's not all the way up. So the poor guy for the last month has been running around with a full cast in the summer heat because of a broken pinky finger. When we were uh, there getting um, his surgery just over a month ago, Julie and I weren't really nervous. This isn't our first go-around. It's our fourth child. We've been in the hospital with each of our children at some point for various illnesses or injuries, and my wife Julie's a nurse, and so all that to say we knew this was a very straightforward, simple procedure, but a nurse, you know, we're young parents, and this is our, our baby boy, and she was very nurturing and caring, and one of the things she said to us was, you don't need to worry. The surgeon, Dr. Chang, is amazing. He can do this procedure with his eyes closed. And then she said this thing that left us both just kind of open mouth, jaw on the floor. Like, did we just hear that? She said, in fact, he was one of the two main surgeons who completed the first double transhandplant on a child. Well, we had to find out about this. So we went home after Asher's surgery. And that evening, we we started doing some Google research. And sure enough, Dr. Chang was part of a group of surgeons who in 2015 did a bilateral, that's a double hand transplant on a little boy named Zion Harvey. He was eight years old in 2015. In this surgery, there were 12 surgeons involved. There were eight nurses and there were four anesthesiologists. And if I remember correctly, the surgery lasted something like 16 hours of continuous work on this young man. And they were successful. They were able to take from the, from the organ donor, from um, the deceased child who, whose family had given their hands, they were able to take these two hands and surgically put them on this young boy who didn't have hands. He, he had lost his hands when he was two years old. So he had been living for six years, living and growing without hands for six years, they were able to take these hands from the deceased child and surgically put them on this young man's Zion, and they work and he can hold scissors and pencils and balls and paper. It's unbelievable. Think about that. He has movement and feeling in it. As we were watching the video, we, I had our church administrator, Rosa, send out an email to the congregation before Sunday with this article from CHOP, uh, along with a 13-minute video that interviews the surgeons and interviews Zion and, and his mom. And it talks through it, and it's just an amazing story. And if you watch it, you are, I can guarantee you, you'll cry. It's so emotional. But there was a, a couple of just incredible quotes that struck me And as I was walking through the text in preparation of today's teaching, I I was drawn back to this story because of these quotes. Dr. Scott Levin, who was the lead surgeon from University of Pennsylvania uh, Hospital who was involved in this as well, he had a couple of amazing quotes. He says in the interview, there's a saying among orthopedic surgeons that preparation is the only shortcut you need. In other words, there is no shortcut. (laughs) Preparation is the shortcut. The more prepared you are, the more ready you'll be, the more efficient and able to complete the task you'll be. 
He goes on to say, and in every surgery and in highly complex situations, we prepare. This surgery, he says, was the result of years of training, followed by months of planning and preparation by a remarkable team. You know, even though Asher's surgery, the pin in his finger, wasn't that big of a deal, we would not have been okay with just anyone on, in street clothes being in that room. It needed to be a professional who had studied and prepared, and ideally, this was not their first go-around. Luckily, we had one of the most amazing pediatric surgeons, orthopedic surgeons in the world, who was doing this simple procedure, who indeed could have done it with his eyes closed. Let alone in that room with Zion, with 12 surgeons, eight nurses, four anesthesiologists, there's no way that they would have run down to the local Wawa in Center City and said, hey, we need an extra set of hands, come into the room. It is only individuals who have literally dedicated their life to studying and practicing and preparing who can step foot in that room and be a part of that. We intuitively know this, when, uh, this principle. When, when you pick up an instrument for the first time, you don't expect to be able to play it, unless you're either really naive or a fool. In order to gain competency and excellency in any instrument, let alone tools or complex uh, behaviors or patterns or jobs, it requires years of practice and probably daily practice. I'm far from a professional guitarist, but even to reach the level that I play at required me playing daily as a child for years, every day, picking up and trying new things. Among, in, a, in our community, we're, we're blessed with a number of gifted artists of various um, skills and, and mediums. One of our artists that has had work up around the building for the last couple of years is Gretchen, who's just a phenomenal creative artist, painter, um, and, and just creates with, with, great, with uh, great ability. If, if you would pick up one of her paintings or stand in front of it, it would be obvious this is not the first painting that Gretchen has painted. <laughs> Come stand in our sanctuary and look at the, the giant eight-foot spirit dove that she created with paint and with fabric. And look at it. I'm looking at it right now as I stand in the sanctuary. It is obvious that this is not the first thing that she has created, that she practiced, that she's worked hard at it. Obviously, this applies to so many different things in our lives. And it's no different in our spiritual life as we learn how to become more like Jesus. John uses the word that's translated as practice into English. He uses it seven times in these 12 verses. In just a dozen verses, he's going to say practice righteousness or don't practice sin or the way of lawlessness seven times. And like I mentioned in my prayer at the beginning of the teaching, there's actually four different ways that John says we become more like Jesus in these verses. It starts right in verse 28. At the beginning of today's passage, it says, And now, little children, abide in him. Abide, this is one of John's favorite words. He uses it throughout this letter. He uses it multiple times in his gospel as he's recording the teachings and the, the sayings of Jesus, particularly um, in John 14 and 15, 
when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And as you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. We become like him as we abide in him because we are grafted into him. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. The branch becomes like the vine because it's grafted into it and takes on its very fruit-bearing nature. As we abide in Jesus, we become like him because we produce the same fruit that he produced, which is listed so beautifully by Paul in Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We become like Jesus as we cling to him, as we abide in him, as his life flows through us, and we bear the same fruit as him. We also become like Jesus when we practice his way of living. Seven times, John says, practice righteousness or don't practice sin. In verse 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous. In other words, if you want to be like him, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, if you want to become like him, then practice his way of life. So we become like him as we abide in him. We also become like him as we do the hard work of practicing his lifestyle. There's no surgeon in that room with Zion who has not given their life to practice. In the same way, you and I called to a life of Jesus, a life of producing his fruit. That happens through the gift of his grace, bearing fruit through just pure mercy and grace in our lives, but it also happens as we yield to him and as we seek to become like him. He's so gentle and tender with us. He doesn't force his way. He invites us to respond, and as we respond positively, as we listen, as it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew 7, whoever hears these words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. We practice righteousness by hearing his words, by obeying, putting them into practice, and living them out. And in so doing, we become like him so that we too can step in the room and participate in the heart transplants that he's doing. He says, I'm going to take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. If you want to participate in that, then you practice his righteousness. Thirdly, we become like him by looking at him. We become like that which we behold. We become like that which we gaze at. My guess is that your sense of humor has been greatly shaped by the comedies and the comedians that you've consumed over the years, those that you've watched and listened to. And your sense of humor has probably taken on the same quality as the comedians that you've observed. This happens in all sorts of ways. It's probably true that your sense of politics has been greatly shaped by the news outlets that you have consumed and watched. We become like that which we're looking at like that which we're gazing at. John says in verse 2 of chapter 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. Um, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of the chapter. When he appears, we will be conformed into his image because we become like that which we view and we consume. In our outdoor service this weekend, we took communion. 
We participated in communion. We become like that which we consume. Jesus says, here's my body. Take and eat it. Here's my blood. Drink it. In remembering him, in practicing that, we're not only remembering that there is only one body in Christ. It's communion, communal. We're also being conformed into his image by consuming him. So we become like him through abiding and bearing his fruit. We become like him by practicing his way of life. And we become like him by gazing upon him. And fourthly, he says, we become like him through putting our hope in him. In verse three, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hope is the calendar through which (laughs) our lives are strained. Hope is the Brita system through which water is filtered and purified in our life. Think about it. Whatever you hope in, you trust in. Whatever you hope in, in times of crisis, in times of want, in times of pain, you cling to. Whatever your, whatever your hope is in, whether it's a job or a relationship or geopolitical theory or a political system or a party or whatever your hope is in, that is going to be the main filtration system through which you view life. And so if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, then the way that your life is filtered will be through something lesser, something other than Jesus. But we who hope in Christ become like him because our hope is purified in him. We cling to him and become like him. John says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so... John's word to us today is this, that we become like Christ through abiding in him and bearing his fruit. We become like Christ through practicing his righteousness. We become like Christ through gazing upon him, consuming him, viewing him, beholding him. And we become like Christ by placing our hope in him and everything else is filtered out when we do so. One practical way for us to practice righteousness right now as we live through 2020 and there's another wave of civil rights happening in our culture. Here at Parker Ford Church, we're primarily a Caucasian suburban church. We are who we are, we are where we are. But we can practice the righteousness of Jesus by the way that we engage this conversation in our culture, primarily through one of empathy and humility not through pride, not through fear, not through arrogance, not through finger pointing, but through humility and empathy. A way that you can practically practice righteousness today is by engaging this conversation, not with silence, not with ambivalence, not with hatred, not with anger, but with humility and listening. There are so many stories to hear, books to read, content to engage. That's just one very simple way. Each of us, I would invite each person listening to this to ask God, how would you have me learn to abide in you and bear your fruit? How would you have, how would you teach me to practice your way of living? How would you teach me today to gaze upon you and nothing else and, and ultimately to put my hope in you? I pray that each of those things are living in your life. I pray that you would cling to this word that you would be transformed by it and God's work would grow in your life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.